Take your Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. As we have looked at 1 Peter, we have discovered that we are living stones. That's 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 5. Do you have your stone? If you've lost your stone, let me encourage you when you leave this place today, we have a rock garden out here. Pick one up. And if we find out that there are bare places in our rock garden, we'll take care of that, all right? Ye also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So let me ask you a question this morning. How do you spell living stones? And I know some of you are going, L-I-V. No, you spell living stones this way, O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E, obedience. And as we have looked at 1 Peter chapter 1, we have discovered that God calls us to obedience. Look with me, please, at verse 2. In the middle of the verse, it says, sanctified of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. O-B-E-D-I-N-C-E, obedience. Jump over, if you will, please, and look with me at verse 14. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to your form, obedience, O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. Jump down to our text for today, will you please? Verse 22. Obedient to the truth. So we discover we are obedient to Jesus. We are obedient children. We are obedient to the truth. That's how we live out living stones, not dead rocks. So how do you spell living stones? Spell it with me, will you please? O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. Obedience. And as the chorus goes, is the very best way to show that you believe. Now, we're obedient to children. We're, We're obedient to Jesus. We're obedient children. We're obedient to the truth. And it is important that we understand something about truth. We've been memorizing a couple of verses out of this passage of Scripture. Verses 24 and 25. Will you read or quote these verses with me this morning, please? We'll start with a reference, 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25, and then we'll read or quote the verse, and then we'll finish with the reference. Are you ready? Here we go. 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25. All flesh is like grass, And all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25. That is the truth to which we are to be obedient. Now, Peter puts it in context, and I want to do that this morning. And I want you to look at your Bibles, please, and begin with me in verse 22. 1 Peter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, 
since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. This word is good news. I love books. In my library, I have some 1,700 books. The library on my computer contains over 1,800 books. I love to read. I have a Nook book. And the only thing bad about my Nook book is, my, is that my wife knows when I order new books. There are times that Nook books are $1.99. I love $1.99 books. And it's because they end up on the bargain table. You ever like bargain books? They're great things. I find it interesting what ends up on the bargain table. Many times there are books about human growth, human potential, self-help kind of books. I found a book on the bargain table not too long ago. I was afraid to order it. It was a book on ketogenics. You know what ketogenics is? That's low-carb, high-fat diet stuff. It's wonderful. It maintains that our country is headed for a, sil- a serious health problem unless we get back to hot fudge sundaes and cherry pie. <laughs> Amen? I love books. But the book that I love the most is this book. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. And why do I love this book? Because it gives me truth. This book gives me basic instructions before leaving earth. And I can trust it. And Peter reminds us that it is this book which provides a solid foundation for our lives. And it is this book that we are to obey in truth. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 12, of the making of many books there is no end. (laughs) You know, it's interesting to see how truth has changed. About 100 years ago, the best-selling book in our country was a book based on phrenology. Now, some of you may be scratching your heads wondering what phrenology is. Phrenology is the study that allows someone to discover their personality strengths and weaknesses and to predict the future by feeling the lumps on their head. You see why I asked if you were scratching your heads? 
Some of you went. Phrenologists were very serious people. And they would feel the lumps on a person's skull and tell them how to get ahead in life. Sounds crazy, but 100 years ago, that was the best-selling book above the, except for the Bible in the United States of America. So what advantage do we have with the Bible? Peter gives to us five advantages for our lives that we can discover in the Bible, and I want to share them with you this morning. Advantage number one, to be born again equals brotherly love. In our text, you see in verse 23, it talks about being born again. Jesus said to Nicodemus, Unless a man is born of the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And we need to understand what it means to be born again into the family of God. Now, many of you could give to me the Romans road, which walks us toward the truth of God's love and a personal relationship with God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. May I walk that road with you very quickly this morning? It starts in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, the reality of life is not how good you are, it's how good you're not. And verse 10 of chapter 3 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. Somebody said the ground is always level at the feet of the cross, and that is absolutely true because we're all here. And Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the wages of sin is death. That means that you and I cannot have a relationship with God on our own. And one day we are going to face eternity if left on our own. The wages of sin is death. Now I can tell you why everybody dies. Everybody dies because of sin. We say, well, they died because of cancer. Cancer is a result of sin. Not sin in that person's life, but a result of the fall where depravity entered this world. Before depravity entered this world, there were no diseases. So I'm not blaming anybody's sin and cancer. Do not equate that, please. But understand that sin is the cause of death in every case because it's the cause of depravity on this old world. But the gift of God, that verse goes on to say, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The question is, how do you get the gift? If the wages of sin is death, how do you get the gift of God? Romans 5 tells us, but God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The only way to get the gift is to look at God. And Romans 10 tells us that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verses 9 and 10 say that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what it means to be born again. But being born again, according to the Scripture, then gives some fruit in our lives. 
And that fruit is brotherly love. Look with me at verse 22, will you please? 1 Peter 1, 22. Having purified yourselves by the obedience truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, in our English text, the word love is used twice. They are different Greek words. Brotherly love is the word phileo. You only find it in the Bible in First and Second Peter, phileo. And it means a love for each other. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. If you look at the crime statistics in, in Philadelphia, it's not much brotherly love going on there. But brotherly love comes because of a family relationship. A relationship that you and I have. The other word that's used here is agape. Sincere brotherly love, love agape one another earnestly from a pure heart. The Bible Act. Expedition, exposition commentary says this. One of the painful facts of life is that the people of God do not always get along with each other. You would think that those who walk in hope and holiness would be able to walk in harmony. You would think that those who walk in hope and holiness would be able to walk in harmony. Now, why is that true? Well, Peter tells us that we have the same birth. We've been born again, right? Verse 23. He tells us that we have the same love. Verse 22, one for the other. He tells us in chapter 2 that we have the same nourishment as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. He tells us in chapter 2 that we have the same building, spiritual house. And he also tells us in verse 5 of chapter 2 that we have the same purpose to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You'd think we'd be able to get along. We're the same. We're all in this thing together and we all have the same, we're all headed the same direction and we all have the same standing and purpose in Jesus Christ, right? So therefore... The scripture tells us that you and I, once we're born again, should get along. We should have brotherly love. That's part of the truth. And an advantage that we have is that we together are part of the family of God. Amen? Keep your finger here in 1 Peter and turn over to 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1 John, chapter 4. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Some 19 times in the New Testament, we are told to love one another. And one of the advantages to the truth is that we are to get along. Isn't that great? This past week, we had grand boys at our house. I love having grand boys at our house. Connie had a garage sale. Now, we didn't sell our garage. And we took more to Goodwill after it was over than we sold. But that's okay. I got to spend time with the grand boys. And you know what was neat? They got along. I took them to Station 66 without their mother's approval. We went and we spent time at Menards. Oh, Menards is a great boy's place to go. We went putt-putt golfing. We had a great time. They got it. It was just so pleasant. One of the most pleasant things in the family of God is to see folks living in harmony. See people getting along. Now, Peter tells us back to 1 Peter chapter 1, please. Peter tells us that part of our, the test of our relationship with this God is how we get along. He tells us that we are to get along with a pure heart. And he tells us that we are to earnestly love one another that's a fervent in intensity. What is clear is that people of vertical faith should know how to live with each other horizontally. If we have a relationship with God, we ought to know how to live with one another horizontally. You say, well, what happens when somebody upsets me? May I refer you to chapter 4 of 1 Peter? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Uh-huh. Keep loving But not only does the Bible help us to know that born-again people should exhibit brotherly love, it also helps us to understand that imperishable seed helps us to grow. Back to chapter 1, please. Verse 23, since you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. The word imperishable or incorruptible means exempt from wear and waste and that which would perish. Now, Scripture talks about an imperishable crown that we can receive. Talks about an imperishable God. Tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that our bodies will put on the imperishable, the incorruptible. 
Paul wrote to Timothy, now to the king in incorruptible, imperishable. And here in 1 Peter, we read about an inheritance that is incorruptible, verse 4 of chapter 1, the seed which is incorruptible, verse 23 of chapter 1, and verse 4 of chapter 3 about an incorruptible beauty. That's kind of neat, isn't it? Something that doesn't fade away. Something that will not wither. Now, Peter uses an illustration. He says, all flesh is like grass, verse 24, and all the glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower fails. But the word of the Lord remains forever. That's a quote out of Isaiah chapter 40. And if you look at the context of Isaiah chapter 40, you discover that Israel is in decline. And the prophet Isaiah is wondering, what's going to happen to Israel? God, you put us in this land. You put us here as your people. You promised to take care of us. But the Assyrians are out knocking on our door, and they're going to, what's going to happen? You ever worry about what's going to happen? You ever get concerned about the future? You ever wonder how your issues are going to get handled? Then God says to Isaiah, the grass withers, the flower fails, but the word of our God. You can trust it because it will cause positive growth in your life. It's okay. No matter what you're struggling with, it's okay because the Word of God is consistent. No matter what you're dealing with, no matter what you're fighting with, you can trust a God who has given to you truth. No matter what's going on in your life, You have basic instructions before leaving earth. And God has given to us everything we need for life and godliness in this book. Which takes us to the next point. The Bible. The Bible is indeed the Word of God and can be trusted. Amen? You can trust this book. Have you thought about what it's going to live forever? There are a lot of things that aren't. Your car's not. Connie has 215,000 miles on her car. She still likes it, so she still drives it. And even though every once in a while the service engine soon light comes on, We've been told it doesn't matter. Keep driving. We know it won't last forever. How about your 401k? It can last forever. How about your health? It can last forever. How about this earth? Is it going to last forever? How about time? Will it last forever? For the believer, sadness and sorrow and sickness will not last forever. Hmm? 
God will last forever. He's in eternal, immortal. People will last forever someplace, even after the judgment, either in the presence of God or in a place removed from God called hell. And his word lasts forever. God has given to us the wonder of his word that is forever. You say, well, how do I know that what I'm holding is indeed the word of God? There is a series of books, and they are now in one volume, written by Josh McDowell, old books. If you don't have in your library, I would encourage you to get them, called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. The second volume is More Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And they now come in a one-volume set. And it's an apologetic, not that you apologize, but it is an apologetic defense of the truth of the Word of God. And Josh McDowell does a great job. You know the Bible was written over a 1,600-year time span? Written by 40-plus authors from every walk of life, including kings, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, poets, statesmen, scholars. It's written in different places. Moses in the wilderness, Jeremiah in a dungeon, Daniel on a hillside and in a palace, Paul inside prison walls, John on the Isle of Patmos, written at different times. David in times of war, Solomon in times of peace. Written during different moods, joy, sorrow, despair. Written on three continents, Asia, Africa, Europe. Written in three languages, Old Testament, basically Hebrew, New Testament, basically Greek, and Aramaic, the trade language of the time. Yet it's true that biblical authors spoke on hundreds of controversial subjects with harmony from Genesis to Revelation. There is one unfolding story, and that is God's redemption for man. Have you ever thought about how the Bible was preserved? McDowell says this as he describes the discipline of the copyists of the Scriptures. A synagogue roll must be written on the skins of clean animals, prepared for a particular use of the synagogue by a Jew. These must be fastened together with strings taken from clean animals. Every skin must contain a certain number of columns equal throughout the entire writing. The length of each column must not extend over less than 48 or more than 60 lines, and the breadth must consist of 30 letters. The whole copy must be first lined, and if three words be written without a line, it is worthless and must be thrown away. The ink should be black. An authentic copy 
must be the example from which the translator ought not in the least to deviate. Not a word or letter, not even a yod must be written from memory. The scribe not having looked at the text before him. Between every consonant, the space of a hair or thread must intervene. Between every new paragraph or section, the breadth of nine consonants. And between every book, three lines. The fifth book of Moses, Deuteronomy, must end exactly with a line, but the rest need not do so. Besides this, the copyist must sit in full Jewish dress, wash his whole body, not begin to write the name of God with a pen newly dipped in ink, and should a king address him while he is writing that name, he must take no notice of him. Wow. And that is the care that was taken to give to us this book. The Bible is the word of God which will remain forever. Amen? But not only will it remain forever, it's living and abiding. It is alive. Dave sang to us this morning from Hebrews chapter 4, a text that was incorporated into a song. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints the marrow, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God, verse 23 of our text, is living and abiding forever. Amen? It's interesting how the scripture describes itself. It's a sword of the spirit, according to Ephesians chapter 6. According to Jeremiah chapter 23, it's fire and hammer. According to Matthew chapter 13, it's seed. 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us that it's milk. The Word of God is living. It's not just alive metaphorically, but it is a living reality. Every book of the Bible, all 66, 37 Old Testament I'm sorry, 36 Old Testament, 27 New Testament. Every chapter, all 1,118 of them, every verse, all 774,706 of them, every word, all 3,534 are inspired because it is living and abiding forever. And the encouragement of all of this is it's good news. Verse 25. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The gospel. Good news. Doesn't get any better than that, folks. You want to be encouraged? Pick up the book. You want to hear good news? Forget the newspaper and news TV shows. Pick up the book. You want to grow? You can. It's here in the book. 
And this is the word of God. Paul writes to Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the child of God may be mature, perfect, growing, developing, truly furnished unto all good works. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. And then we would yell, Bible. Basic instructions before leaving earth.